0: Italy's most wanted mafia boss, Sicilian Matteo Messina Denaro, has been arrested in Palermo, Sicily. The 60 year old had been on the run for 30 years.
1: The mention of the name Matteo Messina Denaro has for years engendered terror and dread in the Italian population.
2: He's been linked to scores of murders, including bombings in Italy and the killing of two people who were supposed to be investigating him.
1: The mafioso's
2: crimes were many, brutal and without conscience. The murder by dissolution in acid of a 12-year-old boy that he kept hostage for over two years.
1: Following his arrest, there were celebrations on the streets of Palermo in an Italy that has undergone a major change in attitudes to the mob. But how exactly was he caught? And what of Italy's wider war against the Cosa Nostra and its rivals?
2: He's absolutely a very influential man and he's someone that is the bridge between the old mafia, the new mafia, the identity of the mafia that is now completely in shambles after his arrest.
1: I'm Aideen Finnegan and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, how did Italy's most wanted fugitive evade capture for 30 years? Dr. Anna Sergi is an Italian sociologist specializing in criminology at the University of Essex. She's author of seven books on organized crime, and she also grew up in Calabria, which is close to where the Cosa Nostra was active during its reign of terror. Anna, international headlines would lead you to think that Matteo Messina Denaro was the godfather of the Cosa Nostra. But that was a man called Toto Reina. So who was Messina Denaro, and how did he fit into the crime structure?
2: So, Matteo Messina Denaro is the last one of a group of five, six people that were wanted by the Italian state in relation to a series of events that happened in the early 90s, and namely the murders of uh, two judges, their bodyguards and family members, Giovanni Falcone and Paolo Borsellino, in two different attacks, which were fairly spectacular terror-like attacks with the cars blown up in the streets and uh, in the middle of Palermo for Paolo Borsellino on the way between Palermo Airport and Palermo City for uh, Giovanni Falcone. All
1: around me I could see confused police officers who didn't know what to do. On your right you can see here the tunnel where they placed 500 kilos of explosives.
2: A man did it. He slipped
1: inside with difficulty, lying on a skateboard. Everything was perfectly timed. They even placed an old
2: fridge on the side of the motorway. It was the signal. When the cars passed in front of it, it was the moment to detonate the bomb. So the head of this venture at the time was the head of Cosa Nostra, which is the name of the Sicilian mafia since the 60s, 70s. The idea of uh, Totorina, who was the boss of Cosa Nostra in the nineties, was that it was not enough to do drugs and to do extortion and to do other type of crime. He wanted to get his hands on becoming a military force. So he had this idea that he had to get in conflict with the state to gain territory, to gain power. Totorina was a crazy man in a way. He was completely narcissistic. He, was, he had a borderline personality. He was also quite low level intelligence acumen in a way. He had the low education levels. However, he had a, an extremely Perceptible charisma. And his policy was basically to kill everyone. He essentially started a mafia war in the 80s. He won the mafia war by essentially killing everyone else. He crowned himself the boss of Cosa Nostra. And together with a group of five, six trusted people, he started off this plan to go big, essentially by attacking the state. Among these five, six people was Matteo Messina Denaro. Matteo Messina Denaro was the youngest one. He was the son of the boss of Castelvetrano, which is a very beautiful town in the province of Trapani in Sicily. His father, Francesco, had been a very important boss of Cosa Nostra before and he had chosen to side with Rina during the mafia war. So Matteo Messina Denaro grew at the, you know, as the protégé of Totò Riina, Totò Riina saw in him the um, new generation. Eventually, Matteo Messina Denaro agreed with Rina that it was a good idea, apparently, to bomb the state. He basically became a participant in this attack, so he's been convicted together with Rina and several others uh, for the attacks against Giovanni Falcone and and, uh, Paolo Borsellino. And but he's also been convicted for several other murders, including the bombings that happened in 1993 in Florence, Milan, and Rome, and other murders which are not related to, let's say, the. Plan of Cosa Nostra, but are a little bit more personal. I'm sure you must have heard, uh, if anyone is looking at this now, the um, murder by dissolution in acid of a 12 year old boy that he kept hostage for over two years. His name was Giuseppe Di Matteo, he was the son of a, a mafioso who had just started to collaborate, and in order to punish his father, Matteo Messina Denaro had the boy kidnapped, held hostage for over two years, and then killed by dissolution in acid. So he was a, a man who indirectly was responsible for many, many killings.
1: So it's just so I have it straight. So Toto Riina wanted to basically be the boss of Sicily. He didn't he want. Was, he was. He was, was but he didn't want mm-hmm. the Italian state. This is his island, his, his patch. And Messina Denaro was one of his lieutenants.
2: Yes. But there was something more because Matteo Messina Denaro became the boss of his town when his father died. This effectively placed him among the people who could aspire to become head of Cosa Nostra. Uh, there is a commission who elects the president, let's say, the boss, and Matteo Messina Denaro was one of the candidates for this position the moment he became the boss of his town. So at this stage Matteo Messina Denaro is not the boss of Cosa Nostra. I think this is not needs to be very clear.
1: And the other thing that's very clear is he's a bad man if he uh, dissolved the son of an enemy of his in acids then we, we get a very good idea of what kind of a psychopath we're dealing yes. with was the the killing of the judges the prosecutors of the mafia the turning point for really going after Messina Denaro
2: no, the point for really going after Messina Denaro was 1993 when he disappeared. <laughs> the main priority of the Italian state in 1992 was to get to Totorina. Totorina was Captured or ended over, it depends how you see it, on the 15th of January. So this year was the 30th anniversary of 1993. And after his arrest, everyone else of his friends and partners either disappeared or got arrested or stopped doing what they were doing, apart from a couple of them, including Messina Denaro, who continued with the strategy of terror. So in 1993, we have three more attacks in Florence, Milan, and Rome, bombings. People are killed again. And after that, more people get arrested. Messina Denaro is about to get arrested, but he flees. An outpouring of relief in Palermo after the arrest of Italy's most wanted alleged mafia boss. But Italian prosecutors are warning. Last
1: week, he was finally captured after 30 years on the run. How was he caught?
2: he was checking in into a private clinic for receiving treatment for a very advanced form of cancer to the liver he has. So apparently his uh, health has been deteriorating to the point that he had to accept daily visits because sometimes he got nightly visits to avoid being seen. Apparently the way it's been told the story, the prosecutors uh, were cross-checking data on several different sources in the past year or so told uh, the prosecutors that Matteo Messina denaro was sick, that he had cancer and that de- therefore there might have been some chance that he had to come out <laughs> of his hiding because of, of that. So the prosecutors started investigating and cross-checking data on all the public hospitals, private hospitals, clinics in, in Sicily mostly because they've always been convinced he was still in Sicily and they basically 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 tried and see, okay, how many people of his age, his uh, constitution, of his blood type. So they started really going down and trying to filter down the people who could be him. And they came up with a number of suspects. They followed these suspects around. They tried to figure out who among these people could be. They found some discrepancies between a name and his whereabouts. And it turns out that this name is actually the name that Matteo Messina Denaro was using as an alias. And then eventually they circled back to their name and they caught him on the morning of the 16th of January. So that's very good old detective work. takes a lot of resources and a lot of time.
1: But how did he manage to stay on the run for so long? Would it suggest (laughs) that there was perhaps an element of turning a blind eye by ordinary Sicilians or at worst collusion with police?
2: There are a number of people that we know because they've been sentenced and convicted politicians, in particular one politician who, whose name is Dali. Uh, he has been convicted last year for external participation in mafia affairs. And he has been very high-level politician. He served twice in the Berlusconi's government during two thousand and one and two thousand and six, which is a very crucial time for the Berlusconi's government. And he has known the Messina De Naro family since they were children. They were friends. So speculation goes that since this. Person has been convicted. A lot of the protection around Messina Denaro collapsed. What this looks like, how many people are involved is difficult to say. If you are in a town in Sicily and you suspect that the person who is sitting next to you is the most important mafia boss that is at large now, what is more likely to happen? That you jump off your feet and go and call the prosecutors, risking A, to be exposed. If that is a mafia boss, you might suffer consequences. That you are mistaken, so you get the prosecutors to waste resources or you just go and say, ah, come on, it can't be him. It's not conspiracy to protect him as much as it is minding your own business not thinking about it also because let's not forget that for years we've been bombed with news that Matteo Messina denaro was in Amsterdam he had been seen in Liverpool he had been seen in Brazil and he was in Switzerland getting treatment for a surgical face uh, mask or whatever he was doing so we didn't expect him to look the way he did basically normal. Many people couldn't still believe that he would be going around in Sicily this way. Hiding in plain sight. Exactly. So but that's the best way to hide. You know, and how when, was he living? There were news about his hideouts. And there were two of them. One was a more normal kind of house. And another one was a bunker, which he didn't go uh, to that much, but apparently he was there in case of emergency situation. They were about four meters one from the other. They found many things in his hideouts, anything from books to expensive clothing, watches. He liked The Good Life, but also Viagra. Uh, for example, or condoms. That bears another question about his external meetings. (laughs) So he wasn't exactly hiding. There has been a a picture, a selfie that someone took with him, which suggests two things. One, he didn't actually mind to be caught. He's not that elderly, he's 60-something, it's not the age, the problem, but he's very, very sick. He needs health support, and the state will have to give him that at the very least until he dies. Or maybe just a sense of grandeur and say, okay, you know what, I haven't been caught for 30 years. I'm not going to get caught now. And certainly from what you're saying,
1: there was a certain culture of fear then remaining, even though the Casa Nostra wasn't dominant anymore.
2: There is an interesting video where they interview people in Castelvetrano, in his hometown, and they ask him, how do you feel about Matteo Messina denaro being caught? The first video is about young people saying, yes, finally, the state wins, we are so happy. And older people who were a little bit more cautious saying, are you sure it's a good idea that he's been caught? For 30 years, a lot of people benefited from him being into hiding. What's going to happen now? What he's kind of caught.
1: people benefited?
2: Well, first of all, the people who got money for helping him. There must have been quite a network of people. That means anyone who has to, let's say, bring him groceries from someone who has to arrange for him transport whoever has to arrange for him the fake documents by the way because he was going under a fake name and that's not exactly easy if you have to go into the health system it's very expensive to maintain a boss into hiding especially a boss like him he has a lot of money so he could pay these people uh, my a suffer consequences for sure legal consequences that's fine but their families if there is a rumour, as a, there already is, that someone might have rattled him out, it's not going to go down well. That pushes, pushes a lot of people to ask, couldn't you just leave things as they were? He's going to die anyway. I know there's been a lot of talk about him being the boss and everything, but one thing is to be the image boss, and another thing is to be the actual boss, the one that calls the shot. Messina Denaro did not call the shots of Cosa Nostra.
1: But it's still seen as a, as a very significant arrest.
2: He's absolutely a very influential man and he's someone that is the bridge between the old mafia, the new mafia, the identity of the mafia that is now completely in shambles after his arrest. But on a practical level, who organises the extortion, who handles the money, who handles the drugs, that's not him. Yes, you got your status symbol arrest and then what? Now we are going to probably see a period of unrest, a period of mafia readjustment, The mafia wars are always something that people fear if two bosses clash with one another. So there are, unfortunately, very real problems linked to that, that some people feel overshadow the arrest. And these are the people that live there.
1: Coming up, Anna speaks about her own personal experience of growing up in a region once dominated by mafia violence.
2: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: You did grow up in Calabria, which is in the toe of Italy. Yes. Uh, mm. You were from an area where the Entergata Mafia was the dominant force. And I assume they were in fierce competition with the Cosa Nostra. What was
2: it like growing up in that climate? I was at school when the um, Totorina was on the news every other day. So I thought that was the mafia. Also, thanks to my father, who was a journalist for a national newspaper for most of my life. I knew that there was a different type of mafia that no one talked about uh, at the time because everyone was obsessed with Cosa Nostra. But for some general reason, I consider that not being the same. We had all sorts of violence uh, in the street, but for some reason, it didn't make the headlines. When I grew up and realised that the Ndrangheta was mafia, and more importantly, was, you know, growing.
1: There's a story in your book, Chasing the Mafia, about how when you were six, you donated a Barbie doll to a little girl who'd lost her father on Black Friday, which was a day of huge mob violence involving the Ndrangheta. Mafia. Am I pronouncing it correctly? No, um, but it's fine. It's OK. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's just, uh, I can imagine being a little girl, bit that being terrifying, it must have been a very traumatic experience for you. I think possibly people in Ireland might relate a little bit because of the troubles yes. in the north here. Yes.
2: I didn't realise the significance of certain things in my past until I actually started to study them and uh, try to get distance from them. It was a very very heavy period for Italy we were going through these mafia wars uh, in Sicily and yet there were feuds all around Calabria among clans and uh, this particular event that happened in, in this day in 1991 I was in the car with my father and as it often happened he had a very old phone like one of those gigantic cell phones and he receives a call from his boss in Rome and there had been a quadruple murder essentially so two on each side of the faction uh, on this in the space of 24 hours so it was a fairly warlike zone in a very tiny tiny place Uh, but the thing with the barbie was very much ingrained in my memory because I was so bored in the car I remind you, it was 1991, so there was no phones, no iPads, no nothing. So it was just me with my fantasy. My father locked me in the car, as he often did, don't go out, don't do anything chatting all around something is serious everyone is speaking about this feud this feud this feud and then my father opens the door and asks me for the Barbie and it was my you know my new Barbie and I didn't want to give the Barbie and uh, he does this you know usual serious thing the fathers do looking at me and saying that girl and he points at me this little girl her father has just been killed in the feud so we want to make her smile don't we so give him give me the Barbie And I obviously gave him the Barbie. I started crying. But at that time, I sort of kind of knew that it was something big. And I forgot about it for years. Until I read... It was 2013. I read in the news that a boss had been caught after so many years. Is most remembered for this specific day when this happened. People were playing with uh, the head of some, one of the dead people like a soccer ball in the square. And now all of a sudden I had this vision like, oh my God, I remember this. Yeah, then the whole thing came up to surface. But obviously, like any good trauma, you remove it also because I was six.
1: That, that's an unbelievable story. And this same mafia, the Andragata. Yes, well done. Oh, thank you. <laughs> is is now the biggest mafia in, in Italy.
2: Yes, they are the ones who are the wealthiest and the most dominating in the drug trade. They are the drug importers, while, for example, Cosa Nostra is the drug distributor. So one step below. Some of them import cocaine. Some of them are extremely um, happily involved in political corruption, extortion. Of course, everyone is is involved in extortion because it's the you know the first rule if you want to be a mafia. So now they are the number one enemy of the Italian state. The moment in which we'll forget about Matteo Messina Denaro, we'll go back to focusing on the drunk. <laughs> Have you heard of the Kinahan cartel? Of course I have. Yeah,
1: so would (laughs) they have been muscling in on their territory? Would there have been a big
2: rivalry between the drugs importing side of the business I don't think so. From what I know about the Kinahans were working with some of the Nrangheta brokers in terms of importation. In particular recently, Raffaele Imperiale was an Italian drug broker, loosely belonging to the Camorra but really acting for everyone, was very much in touch with Daniel Kinahan and he was helping the Kinahans to get their drugs. He was also working for some Drangheta families as well. So the good thing, I guess, if you want to find the silver lining, there is enough cocaine for everyone. So there is no reason to fight over it. And
1: finally, Anna, I'm wondering what the significance of this arrest... You kind of mentioned that it might pale into insignificance now because Messina Denaro was not a big player at the time of being caught... Would there be a wider impact? You mentioned a period of readjustment for the mafia.
2: Yeah, there is going to be a wider impact. Whatever happens now, Cosa Nostra is dead. The Cosa Nostra that we knew from the 90s was already a shadow of itself. This is the last blow. So this this was the loose end that still remained of that time. And it was also the reason why the organisation still was holding on to itself. The idea of having a boss that was untouched, and still on the run was an element of pride, but also an element of despair for the population, saying, yes, OK, the state wants to react to the mafia, but Matteo Messina Denaro is still on the run. So the state has reacted. It took 30 years. There are a million questions about what the hell happened in these 30 years. Not every question will be answered. Matteo Messina Denaro is not going to cooperate for sure. So, you know, there is little we will know. However, the significance of it is extremely symbolic. So Cosa Nostra loses its last old-style boss, whoever comes now has a hell of a job to do. They will have to, A, build their own reputation, some of them already are reputable criminals, I would say, but no one would ever match those five or six of the time. Also because to do that, you would have to blow up people and no one wants to do that anymore. So there is this element of learning from the past. We won't have another Matteo Messina denaro again. We won't have another Totorina again. But what do we want to be now? It's the question whether or not Cosa Nostra will survive. They tried to elect a new boss in 2018. They didn't succeed. The prosecutors stopped them. They arrested them while they were forming the commission. So whether or not they'll manage now uh, whoever is the new boss is going to have to do a lot better because there is no turning back there is no coming back from this it's, it's over, it's done because an is done
1: Dr Anna Sergi thank you very much for joining us thank you that's it for today this episode was produced by me Aideen Finnegan and Trish Laverty for full access to journalism from the Irish Times Go to irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. In the news, we'll be back on Wednesday.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby.